The Lions Share Indie Film Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. Um, today we have Guy Roger Duvert. Delighted to have him. He's the director and producer of a recent film called Virtual Revolution uh, that has absolutely cleaned up on the festival circuit. It's done really well. Um, I believe as of recently, it's had 49 wins and 26 nominations. So we're delighted to have you, Guy. Welcome. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me. It's actually now 52 awards. So we, we won <laughs> three, uh, three awards in, uh, since the last time we, we talked about it. <laughs> And by the end of our episode here, it's going to be above 60, I'm, I'm sure. That so. would be great. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, this film has been tremendously successful. And even during the first 10 minutes of, of the screener that you were so generous to share with us, I could, I could see why it was, it's, it's being so successful. It's, it's a visually delicious film. It's, it's, it's totally immersive. And it's, it's a real experience that, that should be... Uh, you know, seen on a big screen, it's it's a real beautiful, beautiful project, and, and a lot of work went into it. It's very, very apparent that the people making it were quite passionate about what they were doing. So, it's deserving the wins that it's getting. Thanks. So, uh, Virtual Revolution, it's it's high concept sci-fi, right? It's mm. very um, it's very cranial. There's a lot of social commentary that went into it, and mm. I understand from reading your press kit that you had the inspiration for this idea all the way back in 2005, as you were reading an article. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about how you found the inspiration for this project. Uh, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, it happened when I read. So I wrote the script in uh, 2014, but yeah, I had the idea in mind uh, for, for why. So I read an article in 2005, and it was uh, about these uh, video games called MMORPGs. So I don't know if you know what it is, you know, massive multiplayer online role-playing games. Uh, you might have heard of uh, World of Warcraft, for instance, that, you know, this kind of games where basically you uh, you create an avatar and you live, you know, adventures, whatever you want, um, in uh, a world which is called a persistent world. Because unlike, you know, in most games, when you stop your computer or when you stop the, the console, um, the game stops. But in these games... In these persistent games, when you stop playing, the world still goes on, and you have thousands of, of players still playing in it and still, you know, making the world evolve. And uh, I'm convinced that in the future, these kind of games will uh, kind of merge with the technology of virtual reality, and we will have in the future some kind of virtual worlds where we'll be able to, you know, live. Any kind of lives we want, and where we will probably want to escape a reality. And the article was a little bit about that. So it was saying that uh, at that time, so in 2005, 25% of the players of uh, of one of these games called EverQuest 2 uh, were um, giving more importance uh, to their virtual life in game than to their real life. And uh, 25%, I mean, that's, that's huge, and it's, it's an old game. I mean, it's, it's pixelized, it's <laughs> on a 2D screen, it's uh, with a keyboard, with a, with a mouth, and we already know where, what we're going to get in terms of technology. Uh, we're going to get some kind of, you know, 
matrix-like kind of technology where we're going to connect ourselves and there will be no differences of sensation between real and virtual. And when that happens, that's not going to be 25%. That's going to be much more. And that's the main hypothesis of the, of the film where we describe a society where 75% of the population spend all the time online and don't care about reality anymore. And uh, a number of those themes came out very strongly in Virtual Revolution. Um, what interested me particularly about it is that fantasy has always been unattainable, right? You read a fantasy novel and it's about dragons in some world that you'll never be able to access. But with the technology of uh, virtual reality, this fantasy is becoming accessible now. Um, it's, not, it's not really a fantasy anymore. And this movie, the way the script is written, does a, a wonderful job taking the hero through uh, kind of a dystopian future reality, but also a number of other uh, in-game worlds that are every bit as real uh, to him and to the other characters as that, that world that we would recognize as authentic. So there's at least at least three independent worlds in this movie, Virtual Revolution, and they're all so fully developed. Um, talk a little bit about your world building and about how you created uh, these distinct worlds within the film. Sure. So, uh, yeah, basically you're right. There are like kind of three different uh, universes in the, in, the, in the film. So reality, which is in 2047, and, uh, and it's set in, uh, in Europe, in Paris. And we have two uh, virtual worlds, uh, one which is medieval fantasy and another one uh, which is kind of futuristic, post-apocalyptic kind of universe. So for the two virtual worlds, I actually took inspiration from video games today. And I took uh, the video games that are most uh, successful, most present right now. So for the medieval fantasy, I took inspiration from all these uh, um, third per person playing uh, kind of games like, you know, The Witcher, uh, mm. Assassin's Creed, stuff like this. Mm. Uh, so that was the main inspiration, even if I, of course, took some inspiration also from, you know, movies like Lord of the Ring or TV shows like Game of Thrones, stuff like that. Right. And for the, the post-apocalyptic uh, futuristic world, I took inspiration from also video games, but more like first-person shooter kind of mm -hmm. uh, video games like, um, uh, I don't know, uh, Halo, uh, um, Mass Effect, uh, right. stuff like that. So uh, the, to, the, the way to shoot them was a little bit inspired by the way you would see them on video games. Um, after, I had to, to think about what this world would you know look like and be built so for the medieval fantasy it was a very you know typical medieval fantasy kind of world uh with you know humans but also with uh, so i didn't want to go too far into the uh you know stereotypes of medieval fantasy so i didn't right. want to have like elves orcs or stuff like that but still, the characters are pretty close to... For instance, there is a girl who is kind of a healer, and she has some magical power. She's not an elf, but she definitely looks like one. So she doesn't right, have, right. like, pointy ears, but, well, she, she looks like one. She, she's, you know, kind of, you know, very thin. And when you look at her face, she seems to be, like, a natural-born elf. And that yeah. was actually kind of the criteria I had when I made, you know, all the auditions and casting, so... When I wanted to choose my actors for her, I wanted a good actress, but I wanted a good actress that looked like an elf naturally. 
for the for the post-apocalyptic futuristic uh, world, uh, I imagine some kind of a planet that would be uh, in war for like a century. So you imagine mm. that clans are fighting each other all the time. So mm-hmm. I wanted to have some. There used to be some kind of civilization there. So basically, all the architecture and everything—it's human kind of technologies, and and that's it. But here and there in the decor, sometimes we would leave some small elements that feel, oh, that's that's kind of a different technology, but no one has touched it for a long time or stuff like that. So yeah, that was kind of the the, the inspiration for the costumes. I actually. I took a little bit inspiration from a game I haven't played, uh, but I loved their uh, art direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called um, uh, oh, I have a Divinity. Divinity, yeah, I think mm, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, you have some pieces of armors of technological armor, but with kind of old capes, old clothes. So everything must be, you know, dirty and uh, and uh, stressed. Uh, right. use so that was kind of the inspiration um, for the reality that was very different because for the for the virtual worlds it was video game so basically we can do whatever we want and it doesn't have to be uh, that realistic right I mean, uh, uh, of course there are dragons and stuff like this but you know the world uh, making a world that would be totally believable is less important it was more important for us to be close from what video games do today. Right. That's totally different for uh, other scenes we did in reality. For that, we wanted to be realistic. So it's actually, I mean, we had like many, many uh, brainstorming sessions and we had to think about everything. For instance, okay, so in 2047, uh, does paper still exist? Yes or no? So we decided yes, because we considered that it would still be uh, a way of communication very cheap. So, of course, like big companies wouldn't use that that much. But, for instance, if you're like just uh, a small rebel uh, rock grunt band and you want, you know, to uh, uh, communicate a little bit about uh, your stuff, you would just, you know, put some posters on, on the walls that would still be cheaper. So yeah. we had, you know, to think about many aspects like this, even small ones like that. And uh, to make the, the, the world realistic, so for every technology, okay, what exists, what doesn't exist. So we consider that robots were existing, yeah. uh, but not that frequent either. I mean, only in uh, like the rich could get them. We have to decide, okay, how the world would exist. So basically, you have 75% of the population that spend all the time connected. That yeah. means, okay, they don't reproduce anymore. Right. They don't make anymore because they just, you know, they don't have a real social life anymore. Mm-hmm. So that means population is going down. That means that when you go on the street, you're not going to meet many people on the street because demography is going down. Yeah. Basically, humankind is slowly dying off. So uh, and that was, you know, all elements like this. So, okay, this exists, this doesn't exist. This is how we should do it. Um, so, for instance, one big element uh, I chose for, for the film, for the reality, is what is called uh, retrofitted futurism. Uh, it's kind of a weird name. It's basically when you mix up um, futuristic elements with very old elements, not only at the time of the story, 
but at the time of the viewer viewer of the films. So, for instance, uh, you have elements that are already old now in 2017. Uh, uh, for instance, if you go uh, in the hero's flat, he has some Chesterfield sofa uh, on on his shelves. He has leather books. Uh, he has even, uh, I forgot the word in, in English, you know, uh, what existed. Okay, so before CD, they were record. And even before record, you know, this very thick kind of records. You see what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no kidding. It even, it even penetrated into, like, the word choice and the dialogue. I noticed patterns of speech were were different than now. People using phrases like, I reckon, or don't pull my leg, which are kind of archaic even now and sound really noir and you know, made me think of all the old Humphrey Bogart movies that I really loved to watch when I was younger. So uh, everything does really kind of come full circle. And, and that part of your world building, I found that was the part that I really enjoyed the most, honestly, personally. And you said it exactly, you know, the noir in France is very strong. Right. So the film is what they call tech noir. Tech, tech noir, noir okay. is a mix between all the codes of the film noir yeah. and the codes of sci-fi and <laughs> all the codes of the film noir are there you have like some kind of investigator who yeah. tends you know to drink a little bit too much mm -hmm. kind of, at the same time is a badass but is also some kind of a loser um there is a, a beautiful woman that uh, arrives eventually there is you know, all these elements are so typical of the film noirs of all the yeah i'm from bogart and you know movies like that and I love the fact of mixing them with sci-fi. Of course, I'm not the first one to, to do that. Uh, Blade Runner did that before. Mm -hmm. uh, but ex yeah, except Blade Runner, there's not that many movies that do that. And that's something that I love. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and I, I feel like he did an admirable, admirable job. Um, Thanks. It was, it was very, very engaging. And even from the very, very first shot, you, you start with these you know, cobblestone streets that are that are drenched in rain and people in these big long leather coats. And I instantly thought, just as the camera moves and from that initial establishment of this is the future, things have gone a little bit wrong, I immediately was thinking, man, I can't wait to go see Blade Runner later this year. I'm really excited <laughs> about that. So yeah, I, you did a I great job. The last trailer, I, I think the, the new Blade Runner film is going to be very impressive. So. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> You know, when we talk about uh, the, the role of a director, um, usually most people would define that as someone who has the vision for the entire project, you know, who can see the film in their head and who's going to oversee all the different aspects of filming through pre- and post-production to make sure that that vision comes out. And we usually tend to think of it with actors, you know, and editors. But I noticed in Virtual Revolution there was so much conceptual art. There was so much beautiful uh, set design and costume design. Um, and I think that's uh, a part of the directing process that some people overlook that you did an excellent job with. Um, these are fully developed worlds. There's nothing half-baked. Um, a lot of careful thought has gone into this. So that was another thing that struck me about the project. You surround yourself with people who are much more talented than yourself in each area. You still need to kind of filter what they're going to propose. Uh, so it... it, it at every aspect, so it's true for the costumes, it's true for the set design, it's true for the for the special effects. So, all of them they're going, you know, to make propositions uh, after you know what you describe what you want to create and everything and everything. And it's very surprising to see that 
uh, not all the propositions work and you need someone basically the director to actually filter them okay this is cool because it goes i mean it's coherent with uh, the world we're creating or oh, this doesn't work because it's not coherent with it and uh mm. so yeah that's definitely a big part of, of of being a director of course there is you know uh directing the actors which is like super important uh but that part was actually pretty easy for me uh because if you cast the right actors generally that's like exactly. you've done 90 percent of your job right exactly exactly so you say that's <laughs> you, you, you stole my words but that's exactly that if you take the good <laughs> actors uh basically you know you just need to make sure that sometimes you're going to change a little bit this or this sentence because oh yeah this you say it's a little bit like too sad or too mm -hmm. uh, too upset i would like to uh, you know to try it a little bit differently but that's you know just small details and basically like 95 percent of uh, what you want to get is already given by the actor so it's yeah. it's you know uh actually yeah during shooting uh the 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 directing the the actors itself didn't take that much of the time because everything was you know we had a few rehearsals before and everything and they were great i mean they were perfect actors so um you know it's not like we had to redo like uh, 10 times or 20 times such or such scene because oh no the acting is not good or i mean when we were you know doing scenes over and over it's because we were trying something a little bit ambitious Uh, um, at the technical uh, level, and it was hard, or because we want the camera to do this and this, or we were, but we were not doing it again and again because of the acting. I mean, the acting was great very quickly. So yeah. We've been speaking with Guy Roger Duvert. He's the uh, writer, director, and producer of a film that came out last year called Virtual Revolution. Uh, now we mentioned before how many awards this film has won at, at festivals lots uh, up to 52 since we do we checked last um, <laughs> including an award at the Berlin Independent Film Festival uh, the Grand Jury Award at the Dances with Films Festival which oh, yeah. is one of my personal favorites uh, Los Angeles Independent Film Festival um, these aren't small festivals either um, uh, what's your secret? how did you manage to package the film? I realize that there really is no secret but <laughs> you just um, have to make a good movie but please give us like a cheat sheet of how to win festivals because everybody wants to do that So how to win them, uh, I, I'm not sure, but how to get selected, there are actually a few tricks. There is one, uh, one festival that uh, I really like. So I really like the, the two festivals that, uh, that uh, you, you, you quoted. Uh, Dances with Film was actually the one where we premiered. Um, so that's kind of a, it's a dear festival to me. And there is another festival that I really like. It's called Dragon Khan. And uh, it's the second biggest uh, Comic-Con in the world after uh, San Diego. And what they did there was pretty cool because they, at the end of the festival, they had some kind of a meeting between the festival organizer and all the directors were there, was, you know, selected. And basically the theme of that meeting was, okay, perfect, you love the festival, the festival, We loved you, blah, 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 it was perfect. Okay, now let's talk real. Let's uh, please tell us what you hated about the festival and we're going to tell you what we hate about you. <laughs> and that was great because basically it was giving us, you know, all the, the um, mistakes we tend to do yeah. uh, uh, when we submit films to festivals because we had the other side of the mirror. 
the side of the of the organizer yeah. and that was great tip so if you want i can give you uh, some of them um Please. Yeah. so for instance very simple thing is that of course the first criteria to choose a film is going to be the quality okay but uh regularly they're going to hesitate between several films and in that case one of the main criteria is the length the shorter your movie is the better it is above all for short movies but even for long because that means that if they loved let's say uh four movies Hmm. and um, they, they have to, to choose between showing one of the four or three of the four, they're going to take three. Yeah. So the shorter, the better. Another thing, uh, festivals hate credits, above all ending <laughs> credits. They hate okay. that. Yeah. So for them, if it could take like 30 seconds, that's a huge maximum, that's perfect. So of course, I mean, for uh, a feature film, you know, you, you kind of need, you know, the, the a real ending credits. But mm. uh, what they propose is that uh, you would actually uh, make two versions of the film, one for the festivals and one for all the rest. <laughs> because uh, they have this problem is that if you have long ended credits, you know, people are waiting. Oh, yeah. maybe I could go to the toilet. So maybe, maybe I could grab a bee or whatever. And yeah. they're going to leave the room. And that's not good for the festival. Yeah. So, yeah, short, very short uh, uh, closing uh, um, credits. Uh, another thing that they tend to, uh, to advise is that when you submit uh, a film to a festival, you know, uh, when you do it on uh, Film Freeware, Without a Box, stuff like this, you have the, the possibility uh, to put a small letter with it. And it's, it's optional. You don't have to do it. Right. Uh, what they say is that you should write one. It's not going to be read every time, but if it's read, uh, it can be useful if it's a pretty short note, basically explaining why it's going to be a good idea for the organizer to take your film. And one of the good arguments is saying, oh, look, you know, I know your festival, your festival is, I don't know, for instance, your festival loves sci-fi, is known yeah. for its sci-fi choice. Well, it happens that we already got selected in this sci-fi festival and this sci-fi festival, so we really think that your audience is going to like our film. Right. And just a small note like this is actually, you know, from the source. Okay, so at least this, this person knows which kind of festival we are, and the yeah. film seems to be targeted to all festivals. So maybe I'm going to like, or maybe I'm not going to like the film, but I should definitely give it a good look. Yeah. So, you know, that was small advices like this, and I love these advices. And from then, I, I just followed them. I, I think that's wonderful. I think those are fantastic. We'll create a, a Guy Rod <laughs> We'll create your Bible for getting uh, accepted into film festivals. I, I, it's a very I, short Bible, be, which is wonderful, because the, the real Bible is too that, long. But, uh, the copyright should go to to Dragon Con for that. <laughs> <laughs> you you bet. We'll, we'll put it on there. That's some real timely good advice. Thank you very much for sharing with us. That's you know part of the reason why we do this podcast is we want to get people who have experienced success and people who have who have actually done real filmmaking to to tell us the the truth about the nitty gritty like this. So we really appreciate you sharing that with us. 
Sure. You know, the other reason why we're familiar with DragonCon is because um, Christian Jean was one of our first interviews almost a year ago, mm-hmm. and his short uh, Mojave Junction won an award there. So he told us a little bit about it as well. It sounds like a wonderful festival. We'll have to go check it out. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should. It's it's a great one. It's uh, an insane one, but in uh, in a good way. I, I love it. I definitely love it. <laughs> okay. Hey. Well, All thank right. you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate your advice, and we. Um, What's the uh, distribution on Virtual Revolution? Where can people watch that? Uh, so it's been sold a little bit, you know, everywhere here and there and in different countries. Uh, when it comes to, to the States, um, we have uh, a physical distributor, so for DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, mm. But the release is going to be probably around uh, the end of the year. So, you know, that tend to, uh, to take time to make sure the release is done properly. So... Uh, they have all the elements now, so they have like you know uh, the film and all the bonuses because you know we wanted to make sure there would be like some you know some fun bonus yeah. uh, for for the for the viewers. Mm. But yeah, it's going to be uh, around the end of the year, and hopefully we should have a nice uh, VOD deal also. But we're still you know in negotiation for that, so I don't know yet how exactly the film is going to be distributed when it comes to uh, to VOD. Uh, I will say, fingers crossed. And if uh, uh, among the, uh, your uh, viewers, there are some people, you know, uh, all around the globe. So it's been already uh, distributed in uh, in UK, for instance. In UK, I think it's already available on, on DVD or VOD. Uh, awesome. Australia, too. So mm-hmm. uh, in France, it's going to be released on DVD uh, in June. So it depends on, you know, each country, but it, it's getting released. It's definitely getting released. That was Guy Roger Duvert. He's uh, the director, writer, and producer of uh, Virtual Revolution, which you can see in the United States, hopefully, about the end of the year. Thanks, Guy Roger. Thank you very much.